Hello and welcome to the Wellspring Tabernacle Podcast. Wellspring Tabernacle is a Bible-based Trinitarian Christian church in Marble, North Carolina. We seek to impact our community through preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and may God bless. I'm a firm believer in what old-time preachers called striking while the anvil was hot. And I'll be honest this morning, um, I have a pile of notes that I have studied out for this morning. I have a multitude of things that I could that I could preach, that I could bring to our attention. But today, what I want us to do just for a moment, just very briefly, is I want you to think about where we would be had Jesus never came to this earth. Think about where we would be If you are here this morning and you were not born part of the Israelite nation, you would be cut off from knowing who God was. The Bible says that we Gentiles that were born outside of what's known as the commonwealth of Israel were cut off. From that, that we were aliens to it. We knew nothing about it. Why? Because the promise of salvation did not lie with anyone else but the nation of Israel. But just think for a moment where we would be had he not, as Peter said, humbled himself and took on the form of a servant humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. But we have finally arrived. We have been, for the past two weeks, we have been, we've been building up to today. And, and you know, there's a, there's a lot said in when, when the holiday season comes, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas. There's a lot said about the spirit of Christmas. And I love Christmas. I do. But um, I've always thought that, that in the church, there should be more excitement at this time of year. Um, and really and truthfully, you can't get excited over Christmas without getting excited over Easter. And and if I could just explain why for a moment. All right, we went over last week, we talked about that first Passover and how God gave Moses and the Israelites that were enslaved in Egypt, he gave them instructions to take a firstborn lamb of the flock that was without spot and without blemish. Um, Jesus the Bible says, was the firstborn of all creation. Without spot and without blemish, God gave the ultimate lamb. Well, how do we know that he was a lamb? Well, because what they would do, when it came time for the Day of Atonement, is what it's called, when the, when it, when the Israelites would take their sacrificial lambs, each family had a lamb that they would take. And the head of the house, I would take the lamb for my family. Anthony would take the lamb for his family. Jamie would take the lamb for his family, so on and so forth. That lamb would be taken. And what they would do is they would take that lamb to the, to the priest and they would present it and the priest would inspect it. He would inspect it outside. He would look inside its mouth. He would inspect it thoroughly to be sure that there was not a spot, that there was not a physical defect, that there was no blemish on that lamb. And then they would take that lamb, and I, I'm going. So I'll get there in a minute. We'll, I'll get there, all right. But anyhow, I don't. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't have not the first idea. But anyhow, what they would do is they would take that lamb, 
and they would fold its legs underneath itself and then they would wrap it as tightly as they could up to right at the base of its head. They would wrap that thing up in uh, the cheapest cloth that they had available which was most of the time what they used to wrap dead people in. And it's also what the poor folks used to wrap newborn babies in, known as swaddling clothes. <laughs> mm. Well, then they would take that lamb and they would place it over in a manger. Y'all, are y'all picking up what I'm laying down here of what happened when he was born? All right. Well, then... We get over there, and, and I know that it wasn't on the same night that he was born that the wise men came, but when they finally, after making their, their many days and many nights journey, when they finally got to him, the, Bible's, the Bible records that he was presented with three different gifts. He was presented with gifts of myrrh, frankincense, and gold. All right, gold was a gift. That was a kingly gift. That was a gift for royalty. All right. Well, then myrrh is, you might have heard of myrrh oil. Myrrh was the main ingredient in the oil that they used to anoint people for the priesthood. Well, then frankincense was one of the many spices that they put on dead bodies to keep them from stinking. When Jesus first entered into this world, he was wrapped like that lamb that was without spot and without blemish. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed over in a manger, signifying to anyone that had ever seen what happened on the Day of Atonement, what was going to happen. And then it just so happens that the three gifts he was given when the wise men finally came was a gift for a king, a gift for a priest, and a gift for a dead man. We like to get wrapped up in the spirit of Christmas about giving gifts. And all, and that's all fine, well, and good. I enjoy getting gifts just as much as I enjoy, if not more so than I enjoy giving them. All right, I enjoy that part of it. But I wish that the church would could get focused on this spirit of Easter, spirit of Passover. But we have finally arrived at the end of this Easter series and Resurrection Sunday is here. As much as I hope you've learned something in the weeks past, I hope you learned something today. Because today, oddly enough, um, before we can get to the end, we've got to go back to the beginning. And if you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And verse 2, I have, I have quoted this verse. I have heard it preached. This is one of the most awesome verses in all of Scripture. I love the whole Bible. I love all 66 books of it. But there's just some things in it that just, to me, just they just leap off the page. And this is one of those verses where Paul says here in verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author of and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord Jesus, this morning we are thankful, so, so thankful for what you've done for us. We're thankful that you came as a babe you came as that lamb that without spot and without blemish, that perfect lamb of God. But Lord, we are thankful that 
when it came time, as the Bible says, in the fullness of time, that you came and that you went to the cross. You went to death. Not for anything that you've done, Lord, but for everything that mankind had done. And God, this morning, as we look at this afresh, we look at, I pray God would look at it with new eyes. God, let the scales fall off of our eyes this morning and let us behold the wondrous cross with that wonder that we talked about just a few weeks ago. God, let us behold the cross afresh this morning as Moses beheld that burning bush and realize, God, that when we look at that cross and we look at the Savior that is on that cross, God, that we behold something that is on holy ground this morning. God, I pray that you would touch each and every one here this morning. God, for those with needs, I pray, God, that they would be mad. But God, above all, we pray that we would see Jesus high and lifted up this morning. God, I pray if there's one here lost, God, that today would be the time, God, that they'd be saved. Those that might not be where they need to be, Lord, I pray, God, that you'd bring them back to yourself. Move in us, God, this morning. Help us. And bind the power of hell, God, right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. But I want us to look at something here this morning, and it's, you know, looking at verse 1, the Bible says that we are to run with patience this race that is set before us, and the Christian is compared to a few different things in Scripture. In Second Timothy, we're told to endure hardness as good soldiers of Christ, but in our text this morning, we're seen as marathon runners. All right, and now now no one goes into a race unprepared, okay? You don't pull a Forrest Gump and decide one morning just to start running, okay? It takes time to prepare. You have to prepare yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically for that kind of exertion. And one of the things that marathon runners do is they rid themselves of extra baggage. They strip themselves down to the, to the bare minimum that is required to be able to run their race well whether they need to lose weight or wear lighter clothes, they have their eyes on the finish line and not on what surrounds them, all right? And what a message that is to all of us here this morning, okay? The Bible said, look at what it says here. It says, seeing that we are also that we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before for us. We, we all need a lesson in this this morning, but I wonder how many of us are like Peter who take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on the waves that, walk, that, are, that, that, are, that our Lord is walking on. He's walking on the waves, but yet we get focused on how high they might be. It doesn't matter how high they are. They're still under his feet this morning. All right, but anyhow, he says, the, but it says this, all right, but, but I wish today, let today, Resurrection Sunday 2023 be the day that we decide to run the race set before us with a renewed passion to keep our eyes focused on him, okay? Think of all the saints that came before us who are gathered at the finish line yes. cheering us on. Yes. I, I think yes. of it this way. I think about the children of Israel as they came to the Red Sea, all right? They have been, Pharaoh has told them, leave, get out of my kingdom. I don't want you in Egypt anymore. Get out of here. And so they start They start off and they make the journey and finally they come to the Red Sea, an impassable obstacle right in front of them. Well, in the meantime, Pharaoh has changed his mind and he's in back of them with his army running them and they've got deserts and mountains on either side of them that they can't get through and they can't get over and they can't cross. They've got an ocean in front of them. God has done all these wonderful, marvelous things just to let them die right here at this ocean. Well, then God speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, stretch your staff out over the water. And as he stretched his staff out over the water, the Bible says that the water stood on its head and dry land appeared and they walked across on dry ground. Now pay close attention to this, all right? There was over 2 million of these people 
So the first ones that begin to walk through, they finally make it over to the other side. They have made it through the obstacle. They have finished that part of the course. And I can see them. The Bible doesn't record them doing this. It just says that they all crossed on dry ground. But I'm sure that those first few that made it over, when they finally could breathe a sigh of relief, that we have made it to safety, we have made it to the other side, that they looked back at those that were still right in the middle of walking between walls of water, all right? I can imagine that they looked back at them and said, everything's good mm-hmm. on the other side. Don't give up. Don't give in. Just keep on coming. We're cheering you on over here. I think about all those that have died and gone on before me. I think about those that I've known in my life, the preachers and the Sunday school teachers and the family and the loved ones that I've known that are just on the other side of glory that are looking and saying, "It's you can do it. You can make it. My God, this morning, church, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses here this morning and there's no greater witness there's no greater evidence that we've got somebody cheering us on than Jesus himself well how do we know that because the Bible tells us in verse 2 of our text it says that we are looking unto Jesus just think about it this morning that's how the Christian life began All right, looking at him got us into this race and keeping our eyes on him helps us to do well as we run in this thing All right, notice the phrase in verse 1 it says the race that is set before us All right, it seems to tell me that we can each run our own race I can't run your race you can't run my race I can't run as fast as you can you might not can run as well as I can Alright, but we are all in this thing together, okay? We're, we might be in different lanes, but we all in it together. Alright, now if I spend my time looking at you and how well you're doing, I'm liable to become discouraged in my own race. I might become defeated because I'm not doing as well as some others might be. Alright, then I might try to run in your lane. Lord God, we're wrecked. We're crashed. It'd be like trying to grocery shop at Walmart. You crash. They need red lights in that place, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right? You know, we might stumble. We might falter. But if I allow, and this and this is such a huge, huge problem in the church today. All right? And I pray that y'all never do this with me. Please do not ever forget that I am human. Do not ever, do not ever put me on, you know, like superhero pedestal status. Because if you look at me, if, and, and we've seen this, all right? We have seen this in church after church after church. All right, we were all at one point in time part of the same church, and y'all know exactly what I'm fixing to say. All right, when you, when you put a man on a pedestal, and you look to him, and you say, as long as he's running this thing well, then I can run it well. As soon as something happens with him, you will fall flat of your face, fall out of church, fall out of fellowship with anybody, and then you'll just be sitting around like a baby bird waiting on mama to bring and stuff something in your mouth. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus this morning. If we look to anyone else, we are going to see shortcomings. We are going to see failure. We are going to see this happen and that happen, but if we look at him, we're not going to find anything but absolute and total perfection. Well, how do I know? How how do we know that, that he ran this thing with perfection? Look at what the text says. It says that he is the author. All right. Now that word author, if you lift the lid on it a little bit more, it shares the root word with that means beginning of all things. The beginning origin and also means that which by anything begins to be. This world is filled with people who will waste their who waste their lives and will spend eternity in hell because they look at the wrong 
things. Some look at their families, others at their jobs, others at church membership, others look at walking an aisle and repeating a prayer, others look at baptism, others look at what, how grandma and grandpa lived and how they prayed and how they loved God, others look at how mom and daddy loved God and they're depending on looking at those things to get them and I don't care regardless of how good those people might seem or how lovely their lives look, they will die and bust hell wide open if they do not look to Jesus, all right? And we look to Jesus because of who, not only because of who he is, but because of what he's done. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And as our text says, and as I already mentioned, it says that he is the author because it is Jesus, not us, that brought about salvation. We aren't saved because we prayed a prayer. We aren't saved because we got baptized. We aren't saved because of anything that we did or are doing. We are saved because of what Jesus has done. It is He who went to the cross. It is He who lived the perfect sinless life that no one else could live. It is He who never offended the law of God at any point but upheld it as righteous and holy. It is He who went out. I'm telling you this morning, I said we was going to go back to the beginning. Let's run back there real quick. Let me get that thing out of my way. Let me tell y'all something here this morning. When I said that we was going to go back to the beginning, I want you to think just for a minute about over in the book of Genesis. All right? You said it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Wasn't that right? Well, then you go to the gospel of John and it talking about Jesus. It says without him was not anything that was made that was made. It says all things was created by him and by him all things consist. All things hold together. Alright, well God creates this beautiful planet. He creates our universe. He, he separates this light from the darkness. He separates the oceans from the land. Alright, and he puts man in a garden called Eden. And he tells man, he says you can do anything you want to do. He said there's just one thing that you do not do. You do not touch it. You don't think about touching it. You don't sing about thinking about touching it. He said you leave the tree in the midst of the garden alone. He said the tree of knowledge. He said you do not eat of it because when you eat of it you're going to die. Well then we all know what happened. The Bible says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Boy he's crafty and he's still crafty today. And let me tell y'all this morning friend his his strategy has not changed. His goal and his mission has not changed. All right, all this stuff we see going on in the world today about people saying, well, how can we know that the Bible really says ABC? Or how can we really know that Jesus really did XYZ? That's all stems from the same plan that the devil has always had. And you go back in Genesis and you read what he did. All right, the Bible says that he come to hate, that Adam and Eve must have been right there around that tree. All right, because the Bible says that they went and it said that the, that the serpent looked over at Eve and he said, has God said, has God said, that's the same thing that he keeps asking today. That's the exact same thing that he comes into people's minds and says, well, how can you know that God really said this, that, or the other? How can you really know that God really said something or that he didn't say something? So what he did is he he beguiles Eve, all right, and he gets he, he tricks her into taking of that forbidden fruit. Well, then, but that, but here's the thing, is the sin wasn't in, wasn't in Eve taking of the fruit. It wasn't until Adam took of it that it became sin. Alright, Adam knew that that fruit was forbidden. Adam knew that he should not partake of it, but he'd done it anyways. And he looked at it, and the Bible says that Eve showed it to him, and that when he saw that it was good for food, alright, he, he knew what it was. He'd been in that garden since he was created. He knew just exactly that it was the fruit that God had told him not to mess with. But then he turns right around, and he eats of it anyways, and at that moment, as soon as Adam, as the representative of all mankind, as soon as he ate of that fruit, now this is what I believe, if you disagree with it, that's fine, but this is what I believe, is at the very moment that he ate of that fruit, the devil took control of the keys of hell and of death. He stole the keys of hell and of death at that very moment. And you say, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? 
Jesus said that he come seeking to save that which is lost. Did he not? All right, now he was not just talking about us. I don't believe. He was talking about taking some things back that didn't belong to him. That's right. So when Jesus dies, oh my, 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 when Jesus dies, he has hung between heaven and earth for six hours. He has been beaten with stripes above number. He has had nails put through his hands and his feet. He's had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. All right, and I'm going to. I'll get. To, I'll get to more on that. Well, let's just go ahead and get it right now. All right, because the Bible doesn't just say he's the author, but it also says he's the finisher. All right. Now that word, oddly, well, it ain't odd. It's a God thing. That word. All right. You go back to the Gospel of John, and you find what the Bible says that when Jesus had therefore received the vinegar, he cried with a loud voice, "It is finished," and he gave up the ghost. All right. Now that word "teleo" in Greek means to fully accomplish. It means that no more work needs to be done, okay? It's very, very popular this time of year. You'll see the, the, you'll see the verb form of that, of that teleo word. It's tetelestai. All right, and what they will do, and what that was is in Jesus' time, when Greek contractors, when Greek builders got done doing something, they would back up when their part of the work was done, and that's what they would say. When they got their part of the building done, they would back up and say to Telestai, it's all done. No more work. You could not do anything else to this and make it any more complete than what it already is. So Jesus backs up, all right, as he's there on the cross, he knew, he said, he had told him just a few days later, he said, I've got power to lay my life down and I've got power to take it back up again. You cannot kill me, but I lay my life down willingly. All right, so what did he do? He hung there and finally the Bible says that he cried out, it is finished. Why is that? Because he's not just the star, he's not just the author of the faith. He is the finisher of our faith. All right. And when he did that, when he cried out, it is finished. The Bible says that immediately that the veil of the temple was ripped in twain from the yes. top to the bottom and said all of a sudden the earth began to yes. shake and the rocks rent. Okay. And it says that the graves of many of them which slept opened and got up. They was he died so much. All right, y'all, y'all need to understand this about when we talk about Jesus dying. Okay, it wasn't just a death like we will die one of these days. All right, when he died, he died so much that the earth couldn't contain it. The earth tried to rip itself apart when he died. He died so much that the old temple, that old that old system of the sacrifices and the law was not. It couldn't. God wasn't satisfied with that anymore. So what did he do? He ripped the veil of the temple in two from the top to the bottom. Alright, well he died so much that the Bible says the graves of them which slept opened up and they got up and walked around. Alright, let me tell y'all something this morning. He died to the point that the Bible says that he went down into the heart of the earth. He descended and the Bible says that he took captivity captive. Now what in the world could that mean? Alright, this is now. This is what I believe and like I said you can disagree with me if you'd like to but what I believe that he did is that he walked down into the very depths of a devil's hell alright and historically that's what Christians have believed alright you read the apostles creed and it says that he descended into hell alright well he went down there and he did not go down there because he deserved to go down there he went down there and he walked right up to the devil and all he had to do was hold out his hand and the devil gave him the keys to death hell and the grave right then and you say well how do you know that he got the keys because he said in revelation he said I am he that was dead and behold I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and of death friend of mine this morning I want you to understand that Jesus did nothing by accident when he died and I believe this now some people might disagree 
disagree with me, but I believe that there has been one time and one time only in the entire history of the world when there, when, when there has been a revival take place yes. in hell. And it was when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords went into that thing and pre- the Bible says that he preached to the captives that was there, friend. Whether you believe it was paradise, whether you believe it was Hades, whatever you believe, the point is that he went there. And I believe that fervently with everything that's in me that he went in there and he said, I am he that the prophet Isaiah spoke of that said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. He said, I am the one that was wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon me and by my stripes you are healed. I'm telling you, I believe he said that you've gone everyone the old way and yet the Lord has laid upon me the iniquities of you all and I can get you out of this mess if you'll believe on me. Now I don't know, y'all might disagree but I'm telling you, that's what I believe. Alright, but then we come. See, the disciples had no idea what was going on. They had not the faintest clue. They was literally running scared. They was scared to death. All right, because they knew. They they stood there and they watched him die. And nobody, I mean, they, nobody can't nobody had ever come back from crucifixion before. <laughs> that was a death sentence. When Rome decided to kill somebody, they done it right. So what happens is, while they're hiding, Jesus is having meeting. While they're hiding, Jesus is show is showing the devil, yeah, just because you might have stole the keys, but I built your house. Y'all didn't y'all y'all didn't get what I just said. All right, let me explain something to y'all. All right, he said that he had that he was alive forevermore and had the keys of hell and of death. Uh, you know what that means? That means the devil does not even have the keys to his own house no more. And y'all, y'all somebody help me this morning. All right, the devil is living on borrowed time, and his he's in a rented space, and his lease is almost up this morning. All right, but anyhow, what did he do? All right, all of a sudden. And then the Bible says that it was early on the first day of the week. It was early on a Sunday morning. All right. Now, I believe this. Now, a whole lot of people don't, but I, I believe that when Jesus got crucified, I believe that at midnight on Sunday morning, he come up out of that grain. Amen. Amen. Why do I believe that? It's because he told them, he said, I'll be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Mm-hmm. After that, when his time when his time was up, yes. boom, up out of there he came. Yes. Well, how do I know that? It was because it was before daylight when the women went to the tomb. Yes. Yes. And everybody loves to say, oh, well, they look at, just look at the faith that these women had. They was going with spices to put on a dead man. They wasn't going there to see a risen Lord. They was going there with spices to put on a dead man. But then as they, as they, I can just see them. I can see it just as plainly as I'm seeing each of you right now. That as they walked up through that garden and they got up there to Joseph's tomb, they began to notice that there was something going on in Joseph's tomb. All right, and as those first morning as the first light of dawn began to peek out, they all of a sudden seen that, hey, the guards that was here, they're knocked out. They're laying down over here on the ground and the stone has been pulled out of the cave and rolled back out of the way. And what the Bible said that they was that they was somebody sitting dressed in white raiment sitting on top of that stone. How do I know that he's the finisher? How do I know that he's the finisher? Because he finished the task that he was sent for. All right, the Bible says that they run up out of the tomb and, uh, and they didn't have to say nothing. It said that that one that was sitting on top of the stone and White Ray looked at him and said, why? He said, guess what? He is not, whoo, glory this morning. He's not here. He is risen just like he said. Go and tell his disciples. Well, guess what I believe happened out of that? Oh my they said he's risen, go and tell his disciples. 
and I and I won't even get in. I won't even. I will. I, I will just 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 because I can and 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 because I feel I could be all right if I did. Ain't it funny? Ain't it funny that we live that we live in a church culture in in our area where we live that says women ain't allowed to do nothing except except raise babies and ain't allowed to do no, and ain't allowed to do nothing. You know we live in a church culture that says oh well they can't do this and they can't do that and they can't do this and they can't do that. You know y'all y'all can teach Sunday school y'all can testify you know y'all can sing in the choir but other than that, other than that no and we and we want you to pray for us now when we need it we want you to pray for us now but we but no huh we we can't have us doing nothing else. Well, lo and behold, might it have been that God just used three women to be the very first evangelists in all of the New Testament to carry the news of a resurrected Lord to a bunch of disbelieving men. Everybody wants to pick on Thomas and say, oh, well, old Doubt and Thomas, old Doubt and Thomas, you better read your Bible. The Bible says that Jesus rebuked them all for doubting. He rebuked them all for not believing. All right, but them women went and they found Peter and the Bible says the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And they said, he's risen. He's alive. He's come back. Well, of course, the men then, they had to go and see. They had to go look. All right, well, Peter wasn't satisfied with just outside looking in. All right, Peter wasn't, Peter wasn't satisfied with that. All right, he went in. The Bible says that Peter stuck his head inside the tomb. And what did he see? It said he's seen the clothes that he'd been wrapped in folded, all right, and then it said he seen the napkin that laid over his face folded and laid to the side and there's been debate over this and all the, and all the you know, the, the Dr. Snile Fungus and Dr. Fuzzy Face at the seminary, they want to say, oh no they ain't nothing to it, that, that napkin was just coincidence, let me just explain something to y'all, hold that for me alright, let me explain something to y'all alright, when I when I am eating my food in a restaurant, and I, and I go to a restaurant that gives napkins, one of them play we don't go there very often because we're poor yeah. All right, but it would happen. You go into one of them places where they sit you down and they give you a napkin and your silverware is all rolled up nice in it. All right, well then right in the middle of your meal, you, you get a phone call or you get a WC call and you got to get up and you got to, those I just showed my age saying WC, didn't I? <laughs> y'all ain't going to get, y'all Y'all have to Google that. But anyhow, all right, when I, but what, what happens is I take my napkin and I fold it up and, and, and I put it beside my plate of food because that, that tells me my waiter whenever they come back around don't mess with my food I, I'm not done yet <laughs> y'all didn't y'all didn't understand what I was saying all right Peter went in there in the tomb and looked and the Bible says that he's seen the napkin that covered his face folded and laid to the side what did that tell Peter yeah Peter I ain't done yet I'm still walking around and I'm gonna come and find you here in a little while yes. all right what did they do then they went back Peter and James and John go back and they tell them look y'all we've been there the tomb's empty we don't know what they've done well praise God little old Mary Magdalene just wasn't satisfied with that and she got out there walking around in the garden she got out there walking around and she seen somebody she hadn't never seen before or so she thought she seen him and she walked up to him and she said sir tell me where they took my lord I know they stole him where have they took him where did they take him where have they took him and the bible says that he turned she thought she thought he was the gardener she didn't know who he was well then he turned right around and he looked at her and he said Mary and as soon as he said Mary the scales fell off her eyes and she knew just exactly who he was my God here this morning church you remember what it was like whenever Jesus called your name you didn't know who he was you wasn't even looking for him and all of a sudden he called your name called you out of death and darkness and into his marvelous light I bless his sweet name this morning because not only did it start it but thanks be to God he finishes it and this brings up something else let me just go ahead and address this while everybody's while everybody's listening and good and attentive right here. I've had people say, Oh well, do you believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? Yes, yes I do. Matter of fact, I had a I had a preacher friend of mine ask me that this week. He had he had heard some he had heard some things and was 
was a little bit concerned that he reached out to me and I talked to him and he just wanted to make sure that I still believed like I did last time me and him talked. And I, and I reassured him, yes I do, and I'm going to go ahead and explain that this morning, alright? I do not look, and this is the problem, alright? When we're running in this race, okay, and we begin to look inwardly at ourselves, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we stop looking unto Him, and we start looking down on the inside of us, we're going to see fault, we're going to see fit. Rita, I know you love the Lord. I know that you love Him, and I know that you worship Him, and I know you walk closer to Him than a whole lot of people do, but I promise if they was if, you, if I examined your life and you yes. examined mine, we'd both find places where we messed up, yes. alright? Yes. So that tells me that as much as I love this woman and as dear as I am to God, that she's in my life. I can't look to her, alright? I can't look to my wife. I can't look to any, I can't even look inwardly at myself because when I do, I'm going to see failure. I'm going to see shortcoming. I'm going to see sin. That's why I cannot depend on what I have done for the Lord. I've got to depend and look to what He has done in my stead. And you say, and you say, well, what did He do? Have you been here for the past 15 minutes? He went to the cross for the joy that was set before Him. Now what in the world, what kind of joy might it have been that was set before Him? Might I just tell you what I believe it to be? He knew that whenever He done this that it was going to first and foremost the joy that was set before Him was bringing glory to yes. God and Amen. God alone. Jesus did yes. not go to the cross hoping to bring accreditation and value to Himself. He said, I have come to do the will of Him that sent he came to do the will of his father and to bring glory to him. Well, you know what happens when you bring when you give glory to God? You know what happens when you give glory to God? What's the Bible saying? Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. Ain't that what he said? When we give glory to God, the Bible says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he careth for you. All right, cast Casting all and somebody here this morning need to get a hold of that. You better cast your cares on him this morning. You're not strong enough to carry them. You're not able to carry them. Your family's not able to carry them. You better give them to somebody that can carry the load this morning. All right, but anyhow, he said if we humble ourselves that he would exalt us in due time. All right, well, guess what happened with Jesus? He did the will of the Father. And guess what happened then the Bible says that God not just exalted him, but highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. Friend of mine, you hear me this morning, you hear me well. This crowd out here that's trying to get us away from speaking the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, that's the, that's straight out of hell now. That's the devil. They want us to use some other name. They want to say, oh well, the letter J wasn't invented until the 13 or 1400s. Or no, 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 you don't. When, when you when you take a name from from one language to another, that name stays the same. Well, when you're working with an incomplete language on both ends, you've got to take what that name means, all right, and you have to translate. You have to transliterate it into what it means in that new language. Okay, that's how we went from Yeshua to Jesus, or we went from Yeshua to Jesus in Greek to Jesus in English. All right, that's how that happened. But don't you let anybody get you away from saying the name that is above every name. The name to which there ain't no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There ain't no other name given that's been highly exalted and is lifted above. God, God considers the name of Jesus to be above his own name. Oh my. Oh, I got a little off track. About the once saved, always saved. Bill, I'll just go back and just, just hit that one good time. 
Our text said that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's why we look to him. Ain't that right? Yes. All right. This is going to clam up any and all doubts. Of, of, of All right. If you're born again and you're looking, if you claim to be born again and you're looking inwardly at yourself and at what you can do for your salvation and what you can do to work your way for it and to keep yourself saved, friend, you did not meet the same Jesus that I met. because of, okay, that's, that's religion. Religion says work, 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 work. You get rewarded. All right, Jesus says, I'm going to reward you now with eternal life. And then while, while you've got the reward, you can work for me. All right. And I think of a perfect example of that, of whatever over there in the Old Testament. Who was it that went over there? I think it was Isaac. Yeah, it was Isaac. He went over there. And he seen a he seen a girl that was just the prettiest thing he'd ever seen, boys. He laid out he laid eyes on he laid eyes on Rachel on Rebecca's son. And oh my goodness, man! I was it Rebecca or Rachel? One other of Rachel. Rachel. He looked at and boys. It was I mean now, son. He loved her. And he wanted to remind me the first time I went to Cleveland, Tennessee and seen this one right here. Boys, I knew I was, I was dead and I was hooked from then on out. She knew it and I knew it. God knew it. And it just took time for it to all come together. All right, but anyhow, he seen her and he went to he went to her daddy and her daddy said, her daddy said, you got to work for me. He said, you put in seven years worth of work and I'll give her to you. Well, guess what happened? At the end of that seven years, it come around time for the wedding night, and guess what he had? He had Leah. He had her sister. He didn't even have her. Well, guess, but then he turned around and he went back to her daddy, and he said, you've deceived me. He said, Laban, you've deceived me. You didn't get, you didn't do right by me. You told me if I worked for you for seven years that I'd get. He said, Yeah, but that's the older sister, and we can't let you have. We can't let her let her younger sister marry first. We gotta get. We, but then he turned right around. He said, You worked for me for seven more years, and he said, I, He said, I'll go ahead and let you have her, but you can work for me then for another seven years. All right. So guess what Jesus did? He said, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the reward now. I'm gonna give you eternal life now and then you can spend the rest of this time working it out for me. Religion yes. and the devil wants to tell you, you know, you've got to work and if you don't do this, if you ain't got your eyes dotted, you ain't got your T's crossed, you ain't going to make it. The devil is a liar and the right. truth's not in him this morning. I'm not looking to what That's right. I'm not looking to what you can do. I'm not looking to what mom and daddy can do. I'm looking to what he has already done because when he died and cried out with a loud voice, it is finished and gave up the ghost, you cannot add anything else to it that ain't already been done. There's no, you cannot, if you if you decorated a Christmas tree, the most beautiful and the most pretty you've ever seen, and to put one more thing on it would mar its beauty. That's the way we need to look yes. at the crucifixion yes. this morning. That's the way we need to look at the finished work of Jesus. All right, you would not take a, you would not take a fine piece of art and try to add something to it to improve on it. If you tried to add something to the Mona Lisa, the whole Europe countries would kill everybody if they tried to add something to the Mona Lisa. Alright, if you tried to add something to the starry night painting, they would want it. They would hurt you. They would want to kill. I know somebody right now is thinking, oh, that, that thing would look really good with an emoji up in the upper right hand corner. I'm sure that's what y'all are thinking. Alright, but think of what Jesus did as some priceless work of art or some beautiful beautiful sculpture or some beautiful painting all right that to try to add anything to it would mar it and make it less perfect than what it is but, but how much the more should we look at Jesus and what he has done he finished the task Amen. and that's why the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves but it is the gift of God this morning, if I could, if I could drive anything home this morning, if y'all got anything out of anything this morning, it would be this. Don't try to do this. Don't try to run this race. Don't try to live this Christian life by looking at others that are in this race with you. Mm -hmm. Keep your focus on the finish line. Yes. 
All right, I, I, I compete in a lot of different things, and I can tell you one thing: if I get if I get distracted when I'm when I, when I'm on the line getting ready to shoot at a target, if I get distracted by something going on around me, I'll miss. But if I focus on that target and I close everything else out and I focus on that target, I will hit that thing. If we close it, put on blinders to everything else and just survey the wondrous cross this morning. Put blinders on this morning. All right, cast aside all those things that so easily beset us. And you say, well, that's kind of hard. Yeah, I know that it is. I live in this flesh too. But I just want to remind you of what the Bible says. Paul said it this way. He said, I am persuaded that the, pre the present troubles of this life, each and everything that goes wrong in our life is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Paul had his eyes on the right way. He knew to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith this morning. He knew in whom he had believed. He knew in who he was trusting. He knew. But yet, we, for whatever reason, it seems, want to look at other things. We want to get distracted and look at this or look at that. We want to look at situations in our family. We want to look at, we want to look at things. You hear me this morning and you hear me well. I don't know what it is the devil's beating you over the head with. I don't have a clue what it is. But you give it to him this morning. What if it's this if it's to do with this job and all that's got going on, worried about hiring people to work there, you give it to him. You keep your eyes focused on him and God will give the increase. You hear me? You hear me? I don't know what it is got you troubled and burdened down and worried either. You keep your eyes on him. You keep your focus on Him. You keep your eyes focused on Him. And you start, And I, I know what it is you're worried about, Christy. I know. I can see it just as plainly in my mind's eyes anything. And I ain't going to... You, and you know just exactly what I'm thinking about. You hear me tonight. You hear me this morning. You keep your eyes focused on Him. You keep your Amen. eyes focused on Jesus. You look to Him, the author and the finisher. And you watch Him bring about. Yes. You watch yes. Him bring it about. He's Amen. the God. I thank God. God this morning that I know the God that will bring a prodigal home. You hear me? You know what I'm saying this morning? He sees them in the hog pit that they're in. He sees them begging and would a vein filled their belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And I tell you right now, God the Holy Ghost will go to them and they'll arise and say, wait a minute. Things is better at my father's house. I'm going home here this morning. Y'all hear me this morning? Amen. Amen. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We got to keep our focus on Him. We got to keep our eyes on Him and watch things come to pass. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wellspring Tabernacle Podcast. If you feel led to do so, please give us a review on the platform of your choice. And if you would like to reach out to us further, please email us at wellspringtabernaclenc at gmail.com. Until next week, may God bless you.